I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Jaffa Cakes. They're not biscuits. Eat at home to avoid disciplinary action in the workplace. On these podcasts, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me growing up in 1980s Birmingham. It's nice to listen to them today as well. And I've enjoyed catching up with them, like old friends. I'd say Iron Maiden songs are better than friends because they're always there in the background. Some friends aren't. And they don't mind if you forget them for a few years. They don't judge you, Iron Maiden songs. You can judge them, but they don't judge you. That's a very interesting relationship. Anyway, I'm at the end of the series, and this is series three, where I focused on the number of the Beast album. And hopefully you've heard the previous nine episodes, where I looked at the songs individually in great detail. I'm not just going to repeat that, because that'll be a very long show. But I'm just going to do a general summary of the album and how I feel about it. Now, the final show of the series was about the song Total Eclipse, and this was a B-side, but I threw it on as an extra episode because I feel the song is very good and very important. I had a complimentary message from Andy, who congratulated me on the performance in the Egg and Spoon race and made a very good observation that it would have been harder to win the race with a ping-pong ball than it would have been with an egg. I think there's something to do with physics in this assumption, and I don't quite fully understand it, but I'm glad to know that I've impressed somebody. Andrew Whitnell from Australia was a little bit impressed. He was pleased that Trevor mentioned maps, but he was also a bit upset that the poem was a bit below par. He also pointed out the error that I made about Jaffa Cakes, and some other people have commented on this, including Jay, who's confused. So I've tried to set the record straight here. Jaffa Cakes are cakes, and that's why it's got cakes in the name. It's confusing because they're with the biscuits in the supermarket shelves. And there was an issue with tax back in the 1990s, but it was proved that Jaffa Cakes were cakes, as Don McIntyre pointed out, because when they're left out on the side, they go hard rather than soft like a biscuit would. Anyway, onto the number of the Beast album. It's regarded as one of their best albums, which is quite interesting. I think this is more by critics and journalists who are maybe a bit lazy and don't dig under the surface. I don't think it's as highly regarded by the fans when compared to other of their albums. I think the main reason for it getting this attention is due to the step up between Killers and Number of the Beast. And the main reason here is Bruce Dickinson on vocals. That's the difference. It's hard for me to say and admit that it's a step up from Killers because I love Killers and I love Paul Diana. But not in that way. But this seems to be like the right formula for the band. It's like having the right ingredients in a dish. It's like my mum's full English breakfast. When I was a boy, she used to give me scrambled egg. And this was alright, I accepted it, because it was fun and it looked nice. But then, it was replaced with fried egg. And I noticed a difference. It was like an upgrade. This is how I see the vocal lineup change in 1982. I think the album Sleeve, and some of the songs on it, also make it a classic. Because several of those songs have been staples of the live set ever since. Well, the backdrop to this album was... Uh, that run to the hills had already got in the top 10 in the UK charts. As I discussed in the episode, it was a strong single, and it had only been five months since Paul Diana had left the band, so they got into it very quickly. It was a quick and dramatic change, and pretty much straight away, the album got to number one in the album chart. Interestingly, the band were pushing the tour bus when they heard this news, which, which sums them up, doesn't it? The commitment to touring and everyday hard graft that maybe you wouldn't expect from a rock star. 
Certainly, when gritty urban popsters New Kids on the Blocks heard the news of their album getting to number one, I doubt they were pushing the tour bus. They were probably playing Tetris on their brand new Nintendo Game Boy. As I've mentioned, other big sellers of 1982 were the likes of Bucks Fizz and Kid Creole and the Coconuts. And heavy metal wasn't normally at the top of the charts, so this was an extra special achievement for the boys. Before I re-listened to this album, I had certain images of the songs. I thought that some would be my favourites and some I wouldn't be so bothered about. I had a feeling that Children of the Damned was an epic song and I was quite surprised when I saw it was quite a short song. I was even more surprised to see that The Prisoner was actually longer than Children of the Damned. I thought Children of the Damned would be a great song, but the fact that it was shorter made it perfect and better than I remembered. And it was similar to Wrathchild in that it's quite perfect in its use of time and it doesn't overstay its welcome, like perhaps some of their other songs later on. I also discussed on this episode that the second song on each album is the most consistent when it comes to quality. This was quite an exciting discovery, so here I am repeating that fact. If I look at all the 1980s albums, I think that Revelations is the weakest second track on an album, which I think sounds quite outrageous. I was also more impressed with the song The Number of the Beast because I thought I might have heard it too many times, but it's got a nice edge, uh, nice drama and, and some good parts. And what I didn't mention on the episode about that song was the drum pattern, which sort of has this element of surprise in it, rather than a standard one. It sort of goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. And it, it sort of puts you on edge slightly, which is right for the song and the theme. In fact, I'll play it now and you can hear it. Most Iron Maiden fans will say that Hallowed Be Thy Name, the album Closer, is the best song of all time. It's a great ending to the album, and to me, it marks the start of several epic closers that would appear on the next few albums. And these were To Tame a Land, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and Alexander the Great. In the first era of Bruce, I would say that Only the Good Die Young is the only album closer that isn't an epic. I mean, even in the, the lesser albums, we've got Mother Russia and Fear of the Dark. So this is the start of a sort of Maiden tradition, if you like. It was the first album that I heard by Iron Maiden, so it's quite special to me. And this is why Invaders is the opening music to the podcast. It's not because I particularly like this song, but these bars are the first experience that I had of Iron Maiden. So I think it should also be the first experience that you had of my podcast. The original release was four songs on each side. And you may recall this is the same as the debut album, which I mentioned being symmetrical for this reason. Now in that case, there was a similar layout on each side. There was a simple rocker that bookended the album, with more complex songs in the middle. And then there was a slow song and a catchy song on each side at at, at tracks two and three. On Number of the Beast, this isn't standard symmetry. I can't say the same thing. But in this case, I'd argue that the best songs on side one are tracks two and three sort of peaking in the middle. So if I was drawing a graph of the quality of those songs, it would look like a hill. On side two, the best songs are at the ends of of it, tracks one and four. So again, if I drew a graph, it would be like a valley or a seabed. It seems strange that the hill is side one, when in fact Run to the Hills is on side two. And it also seems strange that a seabed is side two, when a song about Vikings is on side one. I'm not sure if this was deliberate or not. I was quite drawn to the artwork as a boy. My mum's records had pictures of Cliff Richards on them, 
because they were Cliff Richards albums. Iron Maiden, the band, only appeared on the back of their sleeves up until this point because of Eddie. And this has tended to be the case forever, really. There was only the running free live single in 1985 where the band appeared on the front. Cliff Richards didn't have an Eddie. And Eddie and the Devil on the front cover made me want to listen to this music. That's quite a worrying thing for a six-year-old to think. But there they were on the sleeve, with these mini people surrounded by flames. I never really noticed that there were puppet strings between Eddie, the Devil, and a mini Eddie that the Devil's controlling. But then I never noticed these on, on TV shows like Terror Hawks or The Muppet Show. As well as it being a new era for the band with a new singer, I think it was a bit of a new era for Derek Riggs as well, because there are no lampposts or bins, which we saw on previous sleeves. While it's a very memorable sleeve, I think a lot of Iron Maiden fans would like to pick a different sleeve as their favourite artwork, so they're not being obvious. And I think it's the same reason a lot of fans might say it's not their favourite album. I wonder if too many people think something is overrated and they play it down. Does this then have an impact and make it become underrated? This is quite philosophical, and I wish I could have said this when Thomas Spencer said that cheese and pickle sandwiches were overrated. As an album, I think a lot of fans would say that Invaders and Gangland are not strong songs, so that only leaves six songs out of eight, which is three quarters of the album, or 75%. So I ask you, can an album be a classic with only 75% good songs? I've not mentioned the songs 22 Acacia Avenue or Gangland much, and they were written by Adrian Smith, or partly written by Adrian Smith. I'm glad to say he's here again with another extract from his book. Hi, I'm Adrian Smith. You may know me as a writer. I'm currently number one in the bestseller charts on Amazon, in golf and fly fishing. And you may also know me as a, a guitarist for Iron Maiden. I've been reading extracts from a book I've been writing uh, for children. And here we are, another chapter for you. I had a comment recently from someone called Cousin Joey, and uh, he said... Did I know that the characters in the book have got the same names as the members of Iron Maiden? And uh, uh, the, <laughs> that tickled me somewhat. Yeah, I was aware. Uh, thank you. Um, I've also decided that the book should come out as a cassette, um, so you can get the book and cassette as a package. Uh, a bit like the Iron Maiden packages you can order, where you get vinyl, DVDs, CDs, T-shirts, lanyards, all sorts of goodies. I'm thinking of doing the same in my book. Maybe a Kickstarter version will have a book and cassette. So the reading I'm about to do will be coming from the cassette version, unlike the previous readings you've heard. So uh, there may be some slight differences. What I should say to prepare you for those differences is... Uh, in fact, I'll just, I'll just play the bit that's at the beginning of the cassette. When you hear Nico drum like this... Oi. Oi. Turn the page. Chapter 13, The Edge of Darkness. Dave shivered. He wasn't cold, but he was nervous, stood outside old Mrs. Stratton's house, waiting for her to come out so he could follow her. He didn't like the fact that he was doing this alone, so he had brought the rabbit that Adrian had won for him on the hook-a-duck stand at the fairground. How he missed his chum. Looking at the rabbit made a tear come to his eye. It was like an age of innocence had been lost. Ah, but here comes old Mrs. Stratton now, with her bag on wheels. She must be going shopping, thought Dave, and followed her at a distance up the hill. Oi. Oi. 
Back in the enchanted forest, Paul, Dennis and Adrian had fallen asleep after a busy day eating sweets from Paul Diano's gingerbread house. Dennis had impressed the others with the amount of toffee slabs he could eat at once. He was chewing for hours. Adrian seemed concerned, as these slabs were the roof tiles, and it would leave them exposed if it was a cold night. Luckily, Adrian was able to settle down to sleep and dreamed of being with his old chums, swimming in the park, laughing and splashing, and, oh, he awoke with a start. It was raining heavily, and the water was pouring through the holes in the roof where the toffee slabs once were, and flooding the gingerbread house. He shouted to the others, and they woke up just as the house was washed away, and the boys were carried out into the wild torrent, their beds like rafts speeding through the forest. At last the water subsided, and they found themselves back at the edge of the forest, near the pool of water, where they had caught the wig of old Mrs. Stratton. Old Mrs. Stratton walked quite slowly, and Dave had no problem keeping a watch on her. She went to the fishmongers, then the butcher, and then she posted some letters. Dave noted all this down in a jotter, in case it was important. Then she went to the park, and she sat on a bench feeding the ducks. It sounded like she was talking to them. She must be lonely, thought Dave, sitting down on a nearby grassy bank. He shed a tear at this emotional thought. The adventure had made Dave tired, and he was annoyed to find himself woken up by some boys playing ball nearby. He looked at the bench and found that old Mrs. Stratton had moved on. Oh no, he thought, I can't even do this simple task to help Adrian. As he started to blubber, he saw old Mrs. Stratton over by the playground. She was having a go on the swings. This was strange, thought Dave. She then ran off towards the exit. There was no bag on wheels and Dave saw that she had a hat on. He must have been asleep for ages, he thought, and so he followed her. She walked with a quicker pace than before. Dave remembered that Bruce had said there may be two old Mrs. Strattons. This couldn't be true, surely. But now Dave thought that perhaps he was following a different old Mrs. Stratton to the one he had seen earlier. The weather was turning cold, and there was a hint of rain in the sky. Old Mrs. Stratton skipped into a nearby wood, As she went down the footpath, she produced a flute and started to play a merry tune. All the woodland creatures appeared at once and followed her in a long line, dancing with delight. Dave wondered if he was still dreaming. He felt like he should turn back and tell Bruce and Steve what had happened, but the scene seemed to mesmerise. He couldn't avert his eyes. Onward he followed, drawn in by this spectacle. Suddenly, old Mrs. Stratton jumped in the air and disappeared. Dave ran to where she had stood, ignoring the complaining noises from the badgers and squirrels, who had formed a makeshift conga line. Where could she have gone? Somewhere into the great unknown. Paul, Dennis and Adrian got out of their beds and approached the pool. I've been looking for this, said Paul Diano. I've heard it's a link back to the real world. Suddenly the water bubbled, and with a sploosh out popped old Mrs Stratton, carrying a flute and grinning at the boys. Mother, said Dennis, hurrying towards her. No, said Adrian, who tried to reach out for Dennis to stop. End of part one. I'm going to go back to the sleeve now, and it was drawn by Derek Riggs, as all the sleeves have been to date, and... Uh, 
those of you who've been listening for a while will remember that once I thought that Derek Riggs had a, a pointy hat, uh, but luckily I did actually see him eventually. Uh, so I realised this was a, a load of nonsense. At this stage, I still haven't seen him, though. I wondered who this man was who was creating this artwork. It was originally created for the Purgatory single, which you may recall I mentioned. But the band saved it for the album that was to come. But when Purgatory was released, they would have known that they'd have Bruce as a singer or, or that they'd have an album called The Number of the Beast. So I wonder if they had these ideas in advance or whether the ideas came because they knew what the artwork was going to look like. On Purgatory, of course, Paul Diano was the singer. I'm quite sad that I've not heard from him in this series. Although, I did mention that he'd left me an envelope, which said that I wasn't to open it until this episode. So I opened it just before I started recording, and there's a letter from him, and some other items. Here's the letter. Dear Wayne, I hope you're well in 2020. I've moved on, and I'm delighted to say I'm back in 1981. The old pixie reappeared and said he'd repair the machine as long as I didn't meddle with what I know happens in the future. This means I can't sort out those royalties that I was hoping to do. So I'm still going to be the Paul Diano that you know now. That guy playing Paul in the 12 Wasted Years video. And I guess I'd better enjoy these last few months with Maiden. I can still come and visit you, Wayne, but I've got my number nine key back so I can go and do all these things I've been missing out on. I've enjoyed spending time with you, so thank you for all your help and support. In this envelope are a few things for you to use one day on your show. I reckon you should use the one with 1983 on the cover for your Peace of Mind series. Open it up. Yeah, that's right. It's Steve Harris's diary. Some great stuff in there that you can read out. Anyway, gotta go. I'm signing off. Hope to see you soon, Wayne. All the best. Paul Diano. Looking at the album as a whole, there are some constant themes throughout. On Killers, you may remember we had people on the run, a few murders, and the feeling of being framed. On this album, we've got the invasion theme, which we can see in Invaders and Run to the Hills. There's lots of fire references in it, Children of the Damned, The Flames, Number of the Beast, even The Sun in Total Eclipse. And then you've got this sort of fine line between reality and dreams. We've got, we've got the lines in Number of the Beast and Hallow Be Thy Name about illusions and is it for real or just a crazy dream. And I can relate to this, especially recently, where I've had quite a lot of dreams that have been quite strange and maybe linked to the show a bit. But I guess when you put so much time into it, you do you do become obsessed and, and it takes over a bit. So uh, sometimes I think I might have said something and I wonder if it was in a dream or was it in the show. So I, I might have to listen back. So that'll boost my stats a bit, won't it? Right, I'm going to ring up Trevor now. Um, we'll talk about the, the album, maybe do our top three, which we've done on all the previous shows. Hi, Wayne. Hello, Trevor. How are you doing? Not so bad. I've, I've been getting out my winter wardrobe from the from the loft. Okay, so so you got some warmer clothes down? Yeah, some nice jumpers and uh, anoraks and some hats. So don't you have them in the wardrobe all year round, just in case? No, I have... Uh, Summer wardrobe and a winter wardrobe, like most people. Well, I don't have that. I've just got things in a drawer or in the wardrobe. What, so your scarves are always in the drawer all year round? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're here to talk about the album, The Number of the Beast, on an album review show. Yeah, but I thought you might call earlier, like, like normal. That's a few times you've called twice, haven't you? So you're just calling once this time. 
Yeah, only calling you once. Um, I think the review shows used to be quite long compared to the other ones, but now the regular shows are a bit longer, aren't they? So uh, this is just like a sort of bonus, really. Oh, that's disappointing. Um, anyway, I've, I've done um, something different because I've tried to do the random song name generator. You know, remember? Yeah, I do, yeah. Well, I was uh, hoping to have some different voices for it, but it got a bit boring and it was coming up with silly names. Well, I vaguely remember that the names were silly anyway, weren't they? Well, yeah, in your opinion, but I thought it might be something to use and a nice gadget. And then I thought I might try it with lyrics and see if I could get sentences, but again, it didn't mean anything. It was just a bit gobbledygook. I was hoping I could use it for my poetry, but it was all nonsense. Well, I've had some feedback to say that your poetry's nonsense. Oh, I don't. I'm not going down there again. I'm not interested. Um, I've done my poems. I've done three series of poems. I'm going to have a book out. Uh, I'm confident it will sell. Um, if Adrian Smith can get number one in golf, I might market mine. I might do mine as poetry and as golf, and maybe I'll be number one, or maybe number two behind Adrian Smith. I'll have a book next to his. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, it would be, but it's not happened, has it? Uh, I've had no evidence it's coming out. Um, I've seen a cover and a few bits, but um, by the time it comes out, Adrian Smith's book might have gone down the charts and, and it'll, be the, it'll be all the Christmas bestsellers. Well, we'll see, won't we? Anyway, I haven't got a poem this week, so all those critics can, can rest easy because I haven't done a poem. Well, that's fine, yeah. I don't expect one on the album review show, but it would be good if you could talk about the album, as that's why you're here, and and we'll do our top three songs in a bit. Well, yeah, but as I was saying, I was going to do the random song name generator as a a treat, but it it didn't work out. So I've been looking at some other inventions, and what I've done, I've created a machine that has shown the most popular word used in the lyrics on the Number of the Beast album. Oh, right. So what, it's like taking all the lyrics and and spat out the one that's... The most popular, the, the one that's used the most. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay, so so how did that go? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Do you know what the most popular word was in the lyrics? Uh, run, maybe. No. Okay, what was it then? It was the word the. The. Yeah, the. That was number one. Number two was you, and number three was and. That's really interesting, isn't it? Not really. I mean, the, the, I don't think that's that does that doesn't give us any insight, does it? The word "the" is the most popular. That's nothing. I mean, you should you should have taken all those out. You should do a filter. Maybe take all these little words out because they are going to be the most popular, aren't they? Yeah, maybe. Well, I thought it'd be interesting. Maybe you'll get some positive feedback on that. Anyway, I've been doing some research as well. You know this Pamela Cartwright who claims that it was her that I wrote a poem about? Yeah. Well, she isn't real. It, she's a character off Grange Hill. Is she? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think someone's just using a name and, and just like making fun of you, Wayne. A bit like that Hawk Lord. What, so let me guess. He's one of Skeletor's henchmen or something? No, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But I'm just saying there's, there's some people are just like messing you about. And I'm not messing you about. I'm here for you. Okay. Well. Well. Thank you. Um, but can we? As I say, I want. I'm going to go through the top three now. I want to talk about the, the best songs on the album. So uh, I might get that music that I've used on previous episodes if I can find it, and uh, I'll go through mine. And maybe if I do my number three, and you do your number three, 
Okay. And then if I do my number two and you do your number two. Right. And then if I do my number one. Okay, when you get the message, we, we do this every album review show. Do we? Yeah, yeah. And then you say, oh, I'll just do all of mine at once. Oh. Well, actually, yeah, maybe that would make more sense. Maybe I'll just do mine and I could just play this music and I'll go through my top three. Okay, thank you. Right, here we go then. Number three. My number three is Children of the Damned. As I've said, it's a very good song and one, one that was better than I remembered. I think every time I listen to it, I enjoy it and it's not one I want to skip or get fed up on. Number two. My number two is the number of the beast. I think it's a classic. I think uh, I'd quite happily listen to this live or on its own or in the context of the album. I think uh, that, that to me shows a great song. Number one. Yeah, it's a bit boring, but my number one is Hallowed Be Thy Name, which is clearly a brilliant track. It has a lot of changes. It has drama, good lyrics, and, and bits you want to sort of run around to, as well as sort of just, just sort of take take on board and, and listen in a, in a reflective manner. There's a good message there, even though I don't understand it. Right, let's do yours then, Trevor. All right, can I do some sound effects? I'd rather you didn't, if, um, but I suppose as I've only rang you once, I'll let, I'll let you do some sound effects. Okay, my number three. The number of the beast. I really like the video. I like watching it. I watched it about 20 times in a row once and just, just enjoyed it. I sort of stood there. With my video pieces, um, I, I couldn't do anything. My mum said, do you want some sandwiches? And I didn't answer her. My number two. <coughs> it's The Prisoner. I really like this. When I, when I put it on, I want to go crazy. And I run around. And I got told off once because I started taking my clothes off. And I realised I was in the garden. And, uh, yeah, I got told to come in. But, um, but yeah, I've always liked this. And I remember when I played it at the Made in England show in Birmingham. We were there, weren't we? And uh, you did you did a dance like the He-Man character. No, I didn't. That was you. I've, I've mentioned this. And you're trying to swing it on me, aren't you? You were the one who danced like a He-Man figure, where you sort of swizzled your, your, your waist. And I don't know how it happened, but you was almost rolling around. I mean, you only roll around to Innocent Exile normally if, you, if you've got mud nearby. But this, this was in the concert hall. I was quite embarrassed. I, I couldn't enjoy the song because I don't know what you were doing. Well, no one was watching me. They were watching the band. Well, they couldn't help but watch you, could they? Because you were sort of clattering into people. And, and we uh, there were seats. It wasn't like a mosh pit. There were seats around us and you were still going crazy. And I think someone pushed you back. I don't remember this. Yeah, but anyway, it's a great song. And then number one, I agree with you, Wayne. Hello, be thy name. What are you going to say? Why? Yeah, I think it's the best Iron Maiden song up to now. Um, I think it's a great album closer. I like the bell at the beginning. Um, it reminds me of Christmas time when I used to look out the window and hear the church bells in the distance. I like that. Okay. Um, interesting insight then. Thank you for that, Trevor. Um... So you said Hallow Be Thy Name is the best song that we've covered so far? Yeah, I think so. Do you, don't you? 
I don't know. I think Phantom of the Opera is is a very good song, um, and I think they're both quite similar. I mean, I also like Wrath Child. That was my favourite of Killers. So I don't think you can compare that because it's short and sweet. But these two, I think you can compare them. Uh, I'd be interesting to hear them back to back and see what happens. Yeah, good idea. Should we do it now? No, not going to do it now. Um, right, well, anyway, thanks for that, Trevor. So next week we're going to be starting Series 4, which is Peace of Mind, and we've got Where Eagles Dare. So I look forward to speaking to you about that. OK, thanks, Wayne. Bye. OK, so I guess to summarise The Number of the Beast, the main difference is Bruce Dickinson is the vocalist. And as a boy, I used to quite uh, like looking at Bruce Dickinson. He was the one that stood out to me. He was often in the middle, and on the videos he would be stage centre singing. So, yeah, I, I quite like the idea of being a singer. But it never, it never happened. What I did once was I measured his hair um, using a ruler, on the inner sleeve, there's some photographs, because I think he had the longest hair at this stage, and I measured it. And I remember doing some maths. I tried to work out the proportion of his body in, in relation to his overall height, so I could work out how long his hair was. But, but I realised that this wasn't accurate, and uh, it was, yeah, I, don't, I wish I hadn't mentioned it now. So is Number of the Beast the best album so far? We've talked about Hallowed Be Thy Name, whether that's the best song. Is this the best album to date of the first three albums? I think most people would say yes, because there tends to be a sort of hit-and-miss attitude towards the Paul Diano era. I'm not sure about this. I can see there's growth with each album, but I don't think this is clearly better than the two previous albums. And I could say the same about all of them. I don't necessarily think Killers is much better than the two. I don't necessarily think Iron Maiden is much better than the other two. So these first three albums are quite interesting, and I could quite happily listen to any of them at different times of my life depending on my mood. I'd say they're all 8 or 9 out of 10 albums. Hopefully I'll get to some 10 out of 10 albums one day. Okay, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. And I've got a Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash wimp. And if you want to support the show, you can do so there. I've had some tweets from people who I don't think were characters in Grange Hill. And uh, I've got one here from somebody called Poi nxv1 um there might be a clever way of saying this person's name uh, p o with an normal out actually that's not a normal out those two dots and then i then nxvi um, i don't don't know how to pronounce it anyway this person says uh, you're spot on wayne um so i probably should just leave it there really because that probably just sums up people's views on the podcast anyway but this person goes on to say specifically that they agree that Women in Uniform is the worst song I've covered so far and that it's a lot worse than Gangland. So thank you for that. On the topic of the Number of the Beast album, I had a tweet from Alan Bell a few weeks back uh, after the Prisoner episode which said that this was possibly his favourite Iron Maiden song and it was this that got him into drumming and it's used the hashtag Clive Burr. Now it's at this stage of the podcast where we have to say goodbye to the time of Clive Burr, because he left the band after this album, and we ended up with Nico McBrain on drums, and we'll come to that in the next series. Clive Burr had quite a different style to what we became used to with Nico. I'd say that Nico was a bit more elaborate, but that's not to underestimate what Clive Burr did for the band, and these three albums that I've covered so far, I think he is a very important aspect for the success that they had. Some people might say it's no frills compared to Nico, 
you know, quite simple and standard, but it isn't. The drumming has an understated impact to the overall sound. And if anyone's heard the demos from before Clive Burr joined of songs like Running Through It, you'll hear the differences that he made. Quite subtle, but they gave a swing to it. And it just shows that actually he was a very important band member. So it's the end of an era for Clive Burr and yet another lineup change for the next album. And I'll be looking at the next album, which is called Peace of Mind, and that'll be covered from next week, a new series. So I hope you've enjoyed this one. I'm quite excited that there's a new feature, thanks to Paul Diana. I've got Steve Harris's diary from 1983, so there'll be some extracts read from that. And the first track on the album is Where Eagles Dare, so that's what I'll be looking at next week. So hopefully you'll join me for that, and I'll uh, speak to you there. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.